Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Trinity. I'm so glad you could be here with us today. My name is Matthew, and I'm the pastor here on the east side. I'm going to read to us this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 to 26, and then we'll pray, and then uh, we'll jump into our text. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who want to lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world, but forfeit their soul? Or what will they give in return for their life? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Um, Jesus This text is calling us, your church, to a hard thing, a heavy thing today. We pray that we would um, be willing to listen. Especially those of us, Lord, for whom these words feel familiar, maybe even stale. God, let the fresh edge of these words come into our hearts today and call us to something as your citizens. God, have mercy on us. In Christ's name we pray. These things, amen. So we're in this series uh, that we're calling Citizens. It's a study on what it means to live in the kingdom of God that Jesus came to announce, to proclaim, to, to set up on the earth. And when we talk about being citizens of this kingdom, it's not this idea of like citizens of like heaven and I, when I die, I get to go to be there. It's this idea like there's a real active socio-political vision of Jesus that's on the earth right now that he calls us to be participants Uh, in. Today what we see is that this kingdom that Jesus is um, announcing is led by a king who is carrying a cross. And we all know this, but leaders really matter. Like a leader sets the tone for the whole culture. Leaders create climate. A leader is meant to be not an exception to the culture of a place, but is meant to be an exemplar to the culture of a place. And so we can tell a lot about what a place is supposed to be like by what its leaders are doing. And today we see Jesus, uh, show us what he does with his kingship. Last week we said Jesus is the king. This week we see that he uses that power to carry a cross. So our our text today has three main movements. We'll just kind of work through this story uh, together, and we'll begin with this idea. Jesus begins uh, this by giving his followers a surprising prediction. Our story begins with these words. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die, which is, of course, a very surprising way to begin any story. Um, but especially if you've been hanging out with Jesus recently, especially if you've been tracking with us uh, the last couple of weeks, because just the verse right before is what we looked at last week, which is when Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, meaning you're the king, you're the long-awaited one, you're the one that, that all of Israel has been anxious to see because you're here to save your people and to set up a kingdom. And, and Jesus says, you're right, good job. And we can imagine when that happened, there must have been just this surge of electricity that went through the, the, the crowd because these guys, these nobodies, these small town, blue collar, 
relatively uneducated tradesmen were, were standing suddenly. They realized in the presence of the promised anointed king, the son of David. And everybody wants to find out that they're going to be on the winning team. Like everybody wants to win. I don't know anyone who's hoping their, their side loses this November. Everybody wants to hitch their wagon to a winning horse. And the disciples, these small town people, felt for a minute, we've done this. We found the guy who's going to, to save Israel. And then, of course, it says, and from that time on, Jesus began to say, I'm going to go to the city of David. And in that place, the son of David is going to be killed. And that is quite a pivot. Like, that's not something that anybody saw coming, which explains why Peter was so um, put off by it, why he struggled so much with this idea that this was going to happen to him. And when we see that, suddenly Peter's reaction begins to make sense to us. So the second thing we see in this text, Peter resi uh, resists Jesus and Jesus resets Peter. So he takes Jesus aside and he scolds him. The, the language, the Greek word is actually really strong. He takes him and rebukes him. Like, like no, like that will not happen. Like, like, and you might go, like, I'm not sure I would ever do that with Jesus. He seems, I don't know, like Jesus. He's just like, I'm not sure that I would ever feel the freedom to do that. But this is, you got to remember, what, what's going on in Peter here right now, he is, he's resisting what Jesus just said. And so is, I would guess, everyone else in that circle at that moment. Everyone's resisting this. Peter is just resisting him actively because that's what Peter is. This is vintage Peter right here. All the other disciples are standing there with their hands in their pockets. Probably some of them are beginning to feel sorry for themselves. Others are wishing they could take a nap. Others suddenly got very hungry. They're all resisting what Jesus just said in their own way. And Peter is just the one who's always like getting out of the boat and trying to walk on the water and and pulling the knife out in Gethsemane while everyone has their hands in their pockets and like stand, getting up on the steps at Pentecost and giving the first church sermon. Peter is clumsy and, and full of heart, and I love him very much. This is, this, is, this is Peter extract right here. This is what Peter does when he's uncomfortable with a moment. So he takes Jesus aside and says, no, that is not going to happen. I'm not going to let it happen. Now, what is going on in Peter? Why is he resisting this? Well, it's easy to cast stones at this, at this poor guy, but I heard Chris McDaniel teach this text three years ago, and, and it really marked me because it was, um, helped me see Peter in a new light. What, what is happening in Peter right here, I believe, is three things. Uh, Peter is confused. Peter's expectations aren't being met. And Peter is afraid of, of pain. And if you understand that those three things are active right now in Peter, suddenly this whole thing kind of opens up for you. Um, if I think about my life, the times when I am most likely uh, to veer off of what I know I ought to do, the times where I'm most likely, the, the Bible's language for that would be sin, the times when I'm most likely to resist God in some way and to try to take care of myself or to take up control of my life is when I am feeling confused or in, when my expectations aren't being met or when I'm afraid of something the people that I'm living with, they're not reading my mind. They're not coming through for me in the way that I thought they would. My friends are, are, are failing me in some way. Or what I had set my mind on is like this job offer. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work out or this house and I put an offer on it and then it, I don't get it. And these are the moments in my life where I feel the most out of control, the most afraid and where I'm the most likely to sort of pick up control of my life and say, well, I, I guess I just have to medicate in some way. And, and listen, like the, our whole country this year is going through an entire year of confusion and unmet expectations and fear of pain. 
Like our whole kind, our whole world is. So no wonder like our go-to escape hatches as a society have all escalated this year. Alcohol use is up, pornography use is up, screen time is up, there's financial fear, there's loneliness and isolation. I talk to people every single week who feel like they've just hit a wall. And, they, they, and then they, like, a month later, they hit another wall. They're like, I didn't know there was a second wall. If you are like me and you have kids at home and you've turned your house into a schoolhouse because you're now running virtual school for any number of kids, you've probably in the last couple of weeks hit another wall. Like, I don't know how we're going to do the fall. This is way harder than I thought it was going to be. I finally got my legs under me. And now, and now I don't know how we're going to do this. And so it's easy for us if we can just look at ourselves and realize like what we're wrestling with this year, what's been so hard for us is that we're feeling confused. Our expectations aren't being met. We're afraid. All of us are feeling some degree of fear. And so we can see that in ourselves. We just need to apply it to Peter. This is what's going on in Peter in this moment. doesn't mean what he did is right. It just means what he's doing makes sense. People tend to make sense. If you understand what they're going through internally, people make sense. And yet Jesus does not do what I wish he'd done. He doesn't meet Peter's resistance with empathy. I wish he'd been like, oh, Peter, I know, I know, I, it's so hard. I wish he'd done that or given him a hug or said, it's going to be okay, man. I wish, he'd, I wish he'd met Peter's resistance with empathy, but instead what he does is he corrects him. He resets him. He turns to him and says, essentially, Peter, your job is not to understand this. Your job is to follow You do so much better when you're behind me, Peter, when you're not trying to get in front of me, when you're not trying to lead me, when you let me lead you, that's where you need to be. That's where you need to be right now. And Jesus resetting Peter may like not sit well with us. We We may not like the way that feels because today we tend to equate love with something feeling good, but love does not always feel good. Jesus in this instance knows that what Peter needs is actually to get behind him, that that's where Peter is actually going to grow and be safe. He invites Peter to trust him. And Jesus loves Peter enough to make him uncomfortable. Jesus loves me enough to make me uncomfortable. And then, thirdly, we see Jesus doesn't merely reset Peter, but he then raises the stakes for everyone else who's behind him. He says, this is what it means to be my disciple. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but just to remind you, like in first century context, a disciple is someone uh, whom the rabbi had looked at at one point and said, I believe that you can know what I know and you can do what I do so that you can be like your rabbi. I believe this about you. Come and follow me and I'll teach you these things. And so this is the context in which, which this whole thing is happening. And Jesus says, essentially, the rabbi the king, the Messiah, is going to the city of David to suffer and be killed. And everyone there who is a disciple knows what that means for them because their whole job is to follow in the example of the rabbi, which is why Jesus immediately says, anybody who wants to follow me, you're going to have to do what I'm doing. You're going to have to look like what I look like in this. Following the example of the rabbi is an exhilarating concept when we're walking on water. But when we're walking with a cross on our back, it gets far scarier. It no longer feels like this adventure I'm going on with Jesus. It feels like I'm going to die. And Jesus is very clear. He says, that is what's happening. That is what it means. I'm asking you to die to yourself. This kingdom is not defined by self-protection, 
but by self-forgetfulness, by self-sacrifice, by self-denial. And I'll just tell you, this is a profoundly hard teaching. Like, I know that this, if, you, if you've been in the church for a while, these are familiar words. If anyone wants to follow after me, take up his cross. And we use it so glibly. We talk about these simple things like, oh, it's so hard to mow my half-acre yard, my cross to bear. It was such silly stuff. Jesus is very clear, and his disciples were not amused by this illusion, by this illustration. This is, this is a very hard word. It means nothing less for you and me than being people who are constantly choosing others over ourselves and not to get something from them. I have a very strong two-wing on my Enneagram 3, and I know what it means to serve others to actually get the love I'm looking for. I, it's, it's, my, it's one of my MOs. That is not what this is about. Doing for others so that I can actually get what I want out of life is not what Jesus is calling us to here. It means choosing another even when you know they will never possibly repay you. It means letting yourself be misunderstood and not constantly defending yourself. Letting people believe the worst about you rather than the best when it's not fair. One of my new heroes recent in this last year is Beth Moore, and because I started following her on Twitter. And Beth Moore has been around forever, and she's a very prominent evangelical leader, and probably a number of you have heard of her because she has written tons of Bible studies. But Beth Moore has, is a person who is called to pastoral ministry, but because she's in the Southern Baptist Convention, she has not been given a platform to preach except in very narrow ways. And yet she has been willing to stay within those contexts and to use the full leverage of her platform to bless the entire church. And in the last year, I have watched prominent evangelical leaders publicly name call her, shame her, treat her terribly. And she is tough as nails. She responds every single time graciously, gently, honestly. She doesn't defend herself. She doesn't counterpunch. How do you do when you feel misunderstood? Like, how do you do when someone doesn't believe the best about you and it's not fair? Jesus, Jesus is calling us to nothing less here than to be a people who are willing to not defend ourselves constantly when people misunderstand us. It means that I'm going to, before I require you to examine yourself, I'm going to examine myself. And that that actually isn't ever really going to end. I'm always going to begin first with me before I demand that you deal with your stuff. I'm going to start here first. It does not mean that a person doesn't have hard conversations. It does not mean that a person isn't on social media. It does not mean that a person, every time a conversation gets heated, they get up and get out of the room because they don't want to come off as aggressive. It means you stay in the room and you play by a different set of rules. Because I'm not here to win you. I'm not here to win anymore and to have you lose. I'm not trying to conquer you. I'm actually trying to win you. I'm actually trying to move towards you and staying open to you and remaining vulnerable to you, and that is far harder. It's a life of deference to other people again and again and again, even when they misunderstand and chastise you for it. This is why I don't see any any Christian backing. I see lots of political reasons for this, but I see zero Christian backing for why why a, a person who calls himself a disciple refuses to wear a mask. It's not about your individual rights. This whole thing isn't about our individual rights. It's about my willingness to choose the good of another and to express with everything that I am, I choose you. I laid out my life for you. Before me, it's you. That's why we wear masks. It's not about my individual rights or the fact that I may not get sick. It's about I care about you. This is why, and if you've been here a while, you know that Trinity, we, we hold a traditional sexual ethic at this church, but Christians should be willing to use and adopt the pronouns that any person deems best suits them 
because I'm trying to actually build bridges of relationship here. I'm trying to actually be inclusive in all the ways that I can be. I'm not going to intentionally build walls. Me being right is not more important than you feeling loved. In fact, I'm going to choose to love you and me, be appear, me appear as being wrong. This is why it's, it's ridiculous for, for us to be unwilling to say Black Lives Matter just because there's an organization with the same name that you may not agree with everything about their principles. When you and I are unwilling to say Black Lives Matter, we are simply saying that it's more important for me to be right than for me to love my neighbor. At the same time, when we brand ourselves as a part of the compassionate party, or when we stand on some sort of sanctimonious and smug ground and say, well, we're the people who believe in science. We're the people who listen to women. We're the people who care about human rights. We are doing the exact same thing in the opposite direction and building walls and closing doors and shutting people out. These things do not belong in the church. They don't belong in the church. One of the lies that the church has come to believe in the last several years is that for the church to advance any sort of good agenda, like kingdom of God work on the earth, we have to, we have to play by the same rules as everyone else, even if that means fighting dirty, fighting with no overarching governing ethic. And I'll just tell you, brothers and sisters, that is not the way of the kingdom and it does not have the blessing of the king. It's not how we do it in the church. Jesus says, I pick up my cross and I go to die for you. And if you're going to follow me, you have to do the same thing too. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. And this is super hard to do. This isn't easy. This isn't cut and dry. Like there's no like simple, like just do this and just do this. It is a daily, maybe even minute by minute decision. For the sake of another person, I'm going to lay down my rights. I'm going to choose you over over me. One of the places where this is so hard to navigate is politically right now. We are in such a hard place as a country and even in our church. In a couple of weeks, Ginny and I are going to be recording a conversation with questions that you all are going to send in. You can email them to her uh, at Ginny at atltrinity.org, and we'd love to begin to pile what are the things that you're wrestling with, because how to be a citizen of heaven a citizen of God's kingdom in this political moment is very difficult. I'm not going to tell you how to vote, to be clear. I'm not going to say, like, this is your candidate if you're a Christian. No pastor should ever say that. I'm just going to tell you, how can we think about this? How can we have conversations with family members that, are, that, are, that may be contentious if we don't enter with the spirit of humility and grace? How are we going to do this? But how do we have principles? How do we stand up for what matters? How do we be strong in our convictions? How do we do this? This is a hard time for us, but I want you to just, I want to speak some words over you that Mother Teresa, uh, I, I imagine, used to speak over herself every day. There was a uh, sort of a poem that was written by a man named Kent Keith back in the 60s, and he called it Paradoxical Commandments. And Mother Teresa took these and revised them and then wrote them on the walls of her cell in Calcutta and used them as a reminder every day of how uh, how paradoxical this kingdom is and what is asked of you and me as we seek to, as we seek to live in this kingdom. So I'm just going to read this to us and then we'll, we'll pray. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. 
If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good that you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give, give the best you have and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. So let's pray together. Jesus, we are, um, I feel the heaviness of this word you speak to your disciples today. And yet I remember, as Jenny, as Jenny reminded us just moments ago, you say to the same group of disciples, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus, rather than picking up the heavy weight of this and trying in our own strength to move towards you, God, I just ask that we would feel you actually in this moment lifting these burdens off of us and inviting us to our feet to move forward with you in a way that is, that is certainly difficult, but is ultimately a far lighter way to live. Because we live trusting you entirely. We live led and fed by you. And so Jesus, as we confess our sins together now, we just pray for a real honesty with ourselves, the ways that we protect ourselves, the way we've been escaping internally, the ways we've been maybe self-medicating. Just pray, Father, for the grace to be honest with ourselves and to receive from you the assurance of forgiveness. So if you would pray these words with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Almighty God have mercy on you. Through Jesus Christ, may he strengthen you in goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Amen. Jesus lifts the burdens off. He meets us in a place of guilt and he forgives us entirely. He meets us in a place of hardship and fear and he gives us peace. He wants you to know that you are safe. And so I speak his words to you. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Why don't you turn to one another? Hopefully you're with someone. If not, pick up a phone, text someone real quick, find a person to share the peace with, and we'll continue in our communion service together. In a moment, we're going to invite you to get in your cars and on your bikes and leash up your dogs and walk on over here to um, the east side to eat this meal together. We remember every week that this is the meal that unites the church around the world. This is the table where the dividing wall of hostility is broken down, where we become a family. And so we come and gather around a common meal that is given to us by the same Savior and full of the same Spirit to remember that we are one. Jesus, on the night when he was handed over to suffering and death, 
he took bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. And then in the same way after supper, he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this, all of you, in remembrance of me. And so when we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, we are declaring what's called the mystery of our faith. That Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this meal. We ask that you would take this food and you would make it to be for us more than just food, but full communion with Jesus himself, the body and blood of Christ. And as we come in faith to this table, Lord, we ask that we would receive from you grace upon grace. We would feel our hearts growing lighter. Lord, we would be changed from the inside out to be more like your son. That we would have the strength and the courage and the capacity this week to walk in his way of self-forgetfulness, self-denial. Jesus, help us. We come to this table in faith and we receive from you, trusting that you are doing a good work in us through it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Before we come and to close out our service, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. These are the words that Jesus gave to his church to pray. We pray with the confidence of children and with one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. See you soon. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you at communion.